Our scripture comes out of the gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, as Dan makes his way to come and read our scripture for us this morning. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Almighty God, pour out your spirit upon this, your word, and make it be for us the word of life, that we might be people of life. And now, God, hide me behind your cross, that your message of love and grace and salvation might shine through for the redemption of the world. We pray all of these things through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. The thing that I miss the most living on the farm is riding horses. I love, absolutely love riding horses. It was, it was really uh, the highlight, I think, for at least for me. It was the highlight of the year for me when we would have kind of a roundup and we would have to move cattle and we would, we would get the horses. And this was, I mean, we, we, um, we, we bought our first ATV when I was a young boy, but we still, we still always had horses. Uh, the, the horse that my dad always rode, uh, her name was Chick. Chick was a black horse. Uh, she was a small little thing, but she was fast as lightning. She was a pretty good cow horse. She was very, very agile, very, very nimble on her feet. The only two times that I've, at least in my lifetime, the only two times that I've known my dad to be thrown off of a horse, he was thrown off a chick. <laughs> she was very, very high-spirited. Um, she, um, she, was, she was a good horse. But the thing about, uh, thing about this horse chick that that was so very difficult, was that she was almost impossible to catch. She was almost Im- impossible to catch. You could come out with, uh, you could come uh, to the pasture with, uh, with, uh, with grain, and she wouldn't come to you. Uh, you would have to catch her. Somehow, you would have to catch her when she had come to water, and you would have to catch her in the corral, and then you would have to try to get her into a smaller corral, and then you would have to corner her in the corner of that smaller corral in order to be able to first put a rope around her neck, and then she knew that she had been caught, uh, but then you would have to try to get that, the reins on her and the bit in her mouth, and she would, she would throw her head, and, and it was just a mess trying to get her caught trying to get her caught. On the other hand was the horse that uh, my dad had all of us kids ride. A chief was his name. Chief was a massive, a mammoth horse. I don't know how many hands tall he was, but he was a, he was a really, really big horse. He was, a, he was a bay horse, which means it's kind of that brownish color with a black mane and a black tail. Uh, chief was kind of a plodding kind of horse. He just kind of plodded everywhere he went. He was not fast at all. If you had a calf that broke away, Chief was going to have a really hard time catching up with that calf. But he was a, he was a, he was a fun horse to be around. Um, the, thing that, the, the, best, the best part of Chief was that he was incredibly easy to catch. 
He loved people. Chief loved people. You could be out in the middle of a pasture of, of, of 600 acres, and if chief, especially if you had a bucket of corn in your hand, chief would come running. But normally, you didn't even have to have any feed in your hand. You didn't have to have a, buckle, a bucket in your hand. He could even see that you had, you had the reins with you, and chief would still come up to you. He would make sure that he nuzzled uh, next to you. And, and, and I, I even saw times when, when Chief would even put his head down so that you could put the bit into his mouth. I, I, want, I want you to have that pictured. I want you to have that pictured, this, this massive horse, this tall horse. Even as a teenager, by the way, I would, have to, I would have to have Chief next to a gate so I could stand on the gate in order to get on his back. <laughs> That's how tall he was. This massive horse, muscles rippling, who had a bit in his mouth and has, was able to be controlled by a bit. I want you to keep that, I want you to keep the, that image in your mind as we, as we think about meekness today. We're continuing our sermon series on the Beatitudes, these, these blessings that Jesus pronounced, these are not, this is not necessarily a, a moral teaching. These are not necessarily an ethical teaching of Jesus. This is simply, I mean, it's kind of like, um, I mean, I, I, I'm even a little bit too young to remember this, but I, I heard stories about Walter Cronkite. When he would announce the news, he would, he would say, and that's the way it is. That was kind of how Jesus' pronouncement of the Beatitudes was. It's just simply pronouncements of these are the people who are blessed. These are the people who are happy in the kingdom of God. They don't make sense. They, they don't make sense at all. Happy are, happy are those who are poor in spirit. Well, no, those who are poor in spirit, those who are not hyper-religious, they, they certainly can't inherit the kingdom of heaven, can they? No. No, in the kingdom, in the, in the kingdom where, where God rules and God reigns, in the kingdom of God, those who are blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Those who are blessed are those who are mourning over their own sins. Those who are blessed are those who, who are meek. Blessed are those who are meek, for they will inherit the earth. They will inherit the earth. So what is, what is, the, what is the meek? Who, who, are, who are the meek? Well, the opposite of meekness is proud and pride and arrogance and uh, someone who feels like they are self-sufficient or they are, they are unbridled or reactive. This word is often translated mild or gentle. Some might even add to that weak and submissive. That's the typical understanding of what what the word meek means. It uh, typically we well we have this we have the old hymn. Really was an old children's poem. The title of the hymn is "Gentle Jesus, Meek and Mild." It's a, it's an old hymn in in our hymnal. It, it pictures Jesus as a as a gentle lamb of God, gracious and mild and timid and passive. And again, that's what many of us think when we think about this word meek. Meekness is often associated with weakness or submissiveness or dispassion or blandness. For Jesus to say that the meek shall inherit the earth is absolutely preposterous. I can't wrap my head around this saying that the meek will inherit the earth. 
Surely. Well, they may, they may inherit heaven, but surely, surely not the earth. They are too weak, too, too passive, too bland to take the earth or at least, at least the part that anyone else wants. <laughs> they may take the part that no one else wants because they are just simply too, too weak and too passive and too submissive. If I were, if I were planning on taking the earth, Oh, I'd start with force. I would start with power. I would start with a great and mighty army. For Jesus to say that the meek will inherit the earth is absolutely absurd, at least from our perspective. But I think as we begin to examine what this really means, I believe that we may be able to get really a a bit beyond what we may first understand what it means for the meek to inherit the earth. Now again, let me catch you up where we are here in the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus' longest uh, portion of teaching that we have in Scripture. In Luke's Gospel, it's known as the Sermon on the Plain. In Matthew's Gospel, we find that he goes up to a high place, and so it's referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. And here in the very beginning of this sermon, again, much of the sermon is a really kind of an ethical teaching, really I think as much as anything, it really is simply a statement about what, the, what life in the kingdom of God is like. And certainly, he begins with these radical statements that seem to turn everything upside down. Again, when we think about happiness or blessedness, these are not the people that we think that are blessed or happy. And especially in Jesus' culture, they certainly would not have expected him to say such a thing. In that culture, they would have believed that those who were blessed were those who were wealthy. Those who were blessed were those who were hyper-religious. Those who were blessed by God were those that had a large family. Those who, who were blessed by God were those who were happy all the time. Those who were blessed by God had everything at their disposal. But Jesus says something radically different. He reverses everything. He turns everything upside, upside down. Although the the great 20th century commentator William Barclay calls this word meek the most untranslatable of words, the Greek word behind this is preus, and it's used in ancient Greek language, and it literally means a domesticated animal, especially one that is bridled. Think about that for a moment. As you have that image in your mind of this massive, strong horse that is able to have so much power, incredible amount of power, but that power has been bridled. That's what meekness is. It's not weakness. It's not submissiveness. It's not being drab. It is is not... It is not being dispassionate. It is power that is under control. It's power not that's under self-control. It is power that is under God's control. That's what it means to be meek. Again, it doesn't mean that we're powerless. It doesn't mean that we're submissive. It doesn't mean that we're dispassionate. It means that the power that we have has, has come under the very control of God himself. That's what it means to be meek. That's what it means to be meek. 
We find a picture of meekness throughout Scripture. There are character, there's character after character after character in the Bible that is, that is shown to be meek. Oftentimes we find that Moses is known to, be, uh, known to be meek. We looked at Moses last week just briefly. Another character that, and especially one story that in particular shows, I think, I think the biblical character of meekness is Abraham. Abraham had been incredibly successful. He had been blessed by God. He had been called by God. You may, you may remember the story. Abraham was, 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 he was faithful, and, and he was a godly man, and, and, and he knew God, and God knew him. And he was from a small little village where the Tigris and Euphrates rivers come together, and God said, go, I will show you a place, and I have given you a land, and I am calling you blessed and you, are, you will be the father of a great nation, and you will have an incredible amount of offspring, and you will be my people, and I will be your God. You are blessed, Abraham. Well, God didn't tell him where to go. He just said, go. And so what do you know? Abraham went in his old age at 75 years old. His wife, Sarah, was well past the age of bearing children. They didn't have any children. At 75 years old, God told them to go. God promised them that they were going to be, uh, that, that Abraham was going to be the father of a great nation, that they were going to have more ancestors than there were stars in the sky. Abraham was faithful and, and he went. And God blessed him every, every, at every turn, God blessed him. Abraham became so successful that he and his uh, the, he and his nephew Lot were, were really sharing. It was kind of a, a family business, but Abraham had become so successful that, that the country, uh, the area where they were living, couldn't support both of them. They both had large herds and flocks. They were both incredibly successful. Abraham being the uncle, and Abraham being the one who had been blessed by God, Abraham who had been successful, probably as successful, if not more successful than anyone else that had lived until that time. They recognized that they had to separate Abraham and Lot. Abraham had all of the power. He had every right to pick which land he went to. But he gave Lot that choice. And he told Lot, look, look around all of the land that you see and pick where you want to go. Well, Lot picked the Jordan River Valley. I mean, it was the most fertile land in the, in the entire area. And so Lot chose the, fertile, uh, the, uh, the, the, the Jordan River Valley. Again, that was so fertile, had green grass, had trees, had plentiful water. And Abraham said, okay, you go there and I'll, and I'll, go, I'll go this way. You remember the rest of the story, though? Do you remember what happened to Lot in that Jordan River Valley? There were two towns there known as Sodom and Gomorrah. You see, Abraham, his, his, his self-worth did not come in his success. His self-worth came in the very Lord himself. He didn't need to wield his power. For you see, he knew that God was his power. And whatever happened to him was going to be okay because he was a son of God just like you and I are sons and daughters of God. Meekness, this is what Christ said characterizes 
people in, in his kingdom. They're not defending themselves. They're not running around trying to get their due. They, they, they know that they have nothing. They're, all, they're already broken in spirit over their sin. We've already seen how there's a progression in these, uh, in these beatitudes. They One t- seems to build upon another. It begins with those who, who recognize that they are poor in spirit. They are broken over their sins. They are those who are mourning. They're mourning over their sins. These are people who have already repented of their sins. They're mourning and they're weeping over the consequences of their sin. And in humility, they stand before a holy God and they have nothing to commend themselves. And they're standing naked before the Lord our God and recognizing that they bring nothing. And their hope is not in their accomplishments. Their hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ himself. They offer no defense. They offer no defense for they recognize that the Lord Jesus Christ is their only defense. But we often don't live in meekness. We want to take what is ours. If we want to inherit the earth, or we want to get that raise, or we want to be top dog, or we take it by storm. We take it by force. If we want to inherit the earth, oh, we take what is ours. The Pharisees were the religious conservatives in Jesus' day. There were a number of different political um, parties in Judaism during Jesus' day. The, the Pharisees were the, were the religious conservatives. The Sadducees were the religious liberals or religious progressives. The Zealots were the political fanatics. These were really the, the three main political parties among, in Judaism at the time. And for years, for years, they, because they knew what had been promised to Abraham, that that, that promised land was, was their land, and they were bound and determined that they were going to rule that land. And again, it was their land that God had given them. All they wanted was to possess the land. In the year 63 B.C., Pompey the Great had annexed Palestine for Rome. Before then... The Jews had ruled their own land. They had, they had led a bloody revolt by the, uh, it was called the Maccabean Revolution, and they had, taken, they had taken their land back by force. And they had ruled in that land, in that promised land themselves. The Jews ruled themselves for a hundred years. For a hundred years. But then in, in uh, the year 63 B.C., about 90 years before the ministry of Jesus, they were, they were overtaken. They were overtaken by the Romans, and the Jews wanted it back. At all costs, they wanted it back. And so for, for the next 100 years, they were looking for Messiah after Messiah after Messiah. That's what the day of, uh, that's what Palm Sunday was all about. They believed, indeed, that Jesus was this Messiah. But they were looking at this Messiah as one who would kick out the Romans, who would come and take and inherit the earth for themselves, that would, that would bring Israel back to its rightful place as ruling themselves. That's what Palm Sunday was about. 
They were waving the palm branches and hailing him as their king, but they quickly realized Jesus wasn't that kind of king. They fully expected that he would storm into, the, into Herod's palace and he would try to, uh, try to usurp the throne from Herod. But instead, do you remember where he went immediately? He went to the temple and he threw out the money changers. He threw out his fellow Jews. This was not the kind of king they bargained for. But it didn't stop them. It didn't stop the Jews from continuing to look for another, another Messiah. They abandoned Jesus. And we know that we know the result of, of that. He was crucified, and we believe resurrected as well. 35 years after Jesus. Rome finally had enough. And in the year 70, Rome came and destroyed Jerusalem and killed 1.1 million Jews. But that wasn't the end of it either. Between the, year, the, between the years 132 and 135 A.D.s, Again, that's about 60 years later. And then a man by the name of Hadrian came from Rome and went through the entire land of Israel and slaughtered all of the people and destroyed all of the cities. And he literally wiped out the nation of Israel in terms of national existence. Millions of Jews were killed between the years 132 and 135. So I say all of this. I tell you all of this. Because of this, they believed that they could inherit the earth by force. But that's not what Jesus says. That's not how things work. How you inherit the earth is by being meek. Knowing and recognizing that we have the power to seize control and to take it by force but recognizing, recognizing that our true power comes in our faith in Jesus Christ. We don't need to take the earth by force. You see, our Lord already owns it all. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. We don't need to take it. We don't need to be on that ladder climbing um, that, that, that path of ladder climbing. We don't, we don't need to try to take this earth and, 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 as our own inheritance. Oh, you see, friends, we have an inheritance that is far, far greater than this old earth. We have the very kingdom of God waiting for us. So you want to inherit it all? Be people who are meek. Be people who have, who have come under the very control of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not self-control, but under the control of our Lord. Would you bow with me? Oh God, so often we just simply want it all. We want wealth and success. And sometimes we don't even care who we push down to get it. Who we keep down to get it. We want it all. It's ours. We want to take it. 
God, you've said those who are meek. Those who have been bridled by your grace are those who truly inherit it all. Lord Jesus, you have promised us that if we trust you, we will inherit the kingdom. Those who have our hope, our confidence, our power, and our trust in you and you alone, we will inherit the earth. Oh Lord, may we be counted among the meek on this day, not trusting in our own strength and power, but recognizing our own inadequacies and enjoying the, enjoying the power the grace and the salvation of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.